Hello and welcome to another edition of the 18WB Podcast. I am your host, Christopher Taylor, and I'm joined here in the news segment with... Alex Wilson. And by news segment, I actually mean episode. This whole episode is news, so I don't know why I said segment. It's a newsies episode. Yeah, we're going to exclusively talk about Disney's newsies. Welcome to the newsies hour. <laughs> Today we're going to focus mainly on DC Comics and like the Looney Tunes Hanna-Barbera stuff in this episode of the ATNWB podcast. Are you excited? I'm very excited. I know a little bit more about Hanna-Barbera than Looney Tunes, so really? I'm excited to... A little bit more. Yeah, That's really cool. I, I my know. dad and my brother were big Hanna-Barbera fans, so I feel like I grew up a little bit more on them than Looney Tunes. Say no more Top Cat than, than <laughs> yeah. Porky Pig. Unfortunately. Interesting. Porky, in hindsight, Porky Pig and some of the Looney Tunes characters are much better, but uh, but I'll always hold Hanna-Barbera dear to my heart. It's great. We're going to have to use some of that knowledge for this podcast when we get into the Hanna-Barbera of it all. But right now we're going to get into the DC Comics of it all, and this is not good news. Mad Magazine is ending. Uh, Mad is published by DC Comics, and DC recently announced they are only going to publish under three labels – DC Comics, DC Kids, and DC Black Label. Starting first thing in 2020, Mad started all the way back in 1952. So that's kind of a bummer news. They've been using the Mad brand for a very long time. It, yeah. it you know, was this magazine since 1952, but then on Fox and then later the CW, they had Mad TV, the sketch comedy show. And then for a while on Cartoon Network, they had a silly kind of, it was sketchy, uh, sketchy, it was sketch-esque and it was a reverent kind of mad TV animated TV series, which was really interesting. So they had been trying to use the brand in different ways. I'm sure it'll come back in some form or fashion or is mad like, like, well, I guess being mad at the universe and the news is very relevant nowadays, but is the type of parody that Mad does still relevant? Uh, I don't know. What do you think? I, I mean, I don't know if the type of parody is still as relevant as it was. I still think there's so many great people that came, especially out of the television show, like uh, Key and Peel, obviously. Yeah. And uh, and even like Alex Borstein and the woman from Family Guy, Lois. Mm -hmm. And she was a writer on Shameless for a long time. And she's on the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel's some lesser known uh, actors and writers. Will who are Sasso. Still working. Yeah, Will Sasso. So yeah. I think the, I think the legacy that it'll probably leave uh, will be the success of some of the actors that were on the show. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the magazine and in terms of the brand, um, I mean, SNL has a hard enough time staying relevant a lot these days that uh, who knows if, if Mad TV will be as missed. Yeah. And also with the end of Mad Magazine goes the end of Vertigo. Vertigo is going the way of the dodos as well. Vertigo was where adults went to read comics with super adult themes. And some of those adult-oriented comic books that DC released under the Vertigo label were Sandman, a preacher, Hundred Bullets, Why the Last Man, Fables, Constantine, A History, Violence, Stardust, The Losers, V for Vendetta, I Zombie, Lucifer, and Preacher. Yes, Sandman and Why uh, the Last Man were the main ones that I read, uh, and I didn't realize Lucifer was a Vertigo comic, uh, so that's interesting. Yeah, and you know, uh, obviously Constantine started 
as a Vertigo comic, but worked its way into the main DC Comics universe, DC Comics line. Yes. And uh, as did the Constantine TV show crossover with Arrow, I believe. Or was it The it, Flash? It was, it, was the, it was the Berlanti DCW universe. They pulled that yeah, in. I think it was actually uh, Legends of Tomorrow. I thought maybe he appeared mm. on that, but maybe it was Arrow or Flash. Yeah, yeah, it was one, it was one of those three. Uh, yeah, which I think is a really cool thing. And I remember in, in the episode, he um, he scratches his, like, I feel like he scratches his butt, but maybe he scratches his <laughs> cheek, like his face cheek, with a peacock feather and said, I've been, I've been like, trying to do that for a long time. And it was because, you know, <laughs> NBC, NBC aired Constantine and yeah. their home of the peacock. So, yeah, peacock jokes. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, it's it's unfortunate that really Vertigo is going to be just relabeled um, to DC Black Label mm. comics. Like that's I guess that's really what's happening. Yeah, I guess they just want all those uh, imprints under the DC auspices, and they want people or they want people to definitely know like this is a DC owned property, and they want to capitalize on that name. But it will be sad to see uh, Vertigo go. Yeah, they've been around since 1993. So, a Vertigo comic is the Sandman. Have you read Sandman? I've read like the first two volumes. Yeah, uh, I read I the first the volume. Series. Yeah, there's like eight or nine. I forget how many there are in total now. There's yeah. a, there's a lot. What? Well, just talk about what. What are some of your thoughts about Sandman as a Vertigo comic? Uh, well, uh, obviously created by Neil Gaiman, one of the greatest writers uh, of all time, and one of the greatest writers certainly in graphic novels and in fantasy writing. Um, the art also is really striking in Sandman, um, in that uh, I don't know. A lot of it's stream of conscious sometimes. A lot of it is like. Uh, I don't know. It really makes you feel like you're inside of a nightmare in a good way. Um, mm. it, it feels like it deals with dark uh, subject matter, but it doesn't ever feel like it's like a weight on your shoulders, if that makes any sense. It still feels like kind of pulpy and it still feels like you're uh, kind of invested in a character who has redeeming qualities for as, as, as dark of a turn as it, uh, as it goes in the first two volumes. Um, and the supporting cast in the uh, first two volumes are really great. Yeah, it's a really great read. It's really fun. Really, the mythology goes deep, and the the just like it really gets you thinking as you're reading it, and it's really amazing. Uh, that at least that first volume that I've read, where I believe he kind of, doesn't he have like Sandman has like a like a rap battle or something in it, like not a rap battle, but he has like a battle of poetry or something with another character. Yeah. And I can't, I can't remember who it's with, uh, but it's, I, th I think the conceit is it's, it is kind of like a rap battle and it's with some, it's with some, uh, like God of the dream world who, uh, I was like, it's not Morpheus Morpheus. Cause the Sandman is Morpheus. Yeah. It's somebody else. Um, it's like some kind of trickster character, kind of like Loki. And I think he has to like out, uh smart outwit him. that character yeah outsmart him yeah yeah well netflix has ordered an adaptation of the sandman from warner tv and dc comics slash vertigo it's an 11 episode order alan heinberg will show run he wrote wonder woman so wonder woman was written by a man as i was trying to say the other day that's besides the point 
Yeah, and I, I want to say he uh, was a co-creator um, on Scandal, or maybe he was a writer on Scandal. Uh, he, he worked on one of the Shonda Rhimes shows. He's had a lot of good TV, and then he really hit it out of the park with Wonder Woman, and now I'm sure he's getting job offers right and left. Uh, I know he's written on Scandal, Grey's Anatomy, The O.C., Gilmore Girls, Sex and the City, and yeah and uh he also actually has written comics he wrote young avengers and its sequels avengers the children's crusade and gl G- jla crisis of conscious with jeff johns he co-wrote that with and he actually helped relaunch the wonder woman uh series at one point so he's done a lot of actual comic book work as well oh i didn't know that yeah it makes sense why they hired him for Wonder Woman, obviously. Yeah, and it makes sense why he's running Sandman, because this show is going to be huge. Now, yeah. Neil Gaiman and David S. Goyer, who's had his hand in like every early comic book thing, are executive producing. And you know, Lucifer, another isn't he another Neil Gaiman character? Did Neil Gaiman create the Lucifer comic for Vertigo as I, well? Or someone else Maybe. I, I think Lucifer was... I think Lucifer came from, like, the Sandman universe. That's what I thought. And then he got his own line of comics. And yeah. then the TV show, the pilot, was written by Tom Kapanos, who was the showrunner for Californication. And, oh, nice. But the, I, think, I think the series was uh, showrun by somebody else. Wow, that's so appropriate. Like, I'm sure mm-hmm. he just writes that main ca- those main characters the same. Californication yeah. and Lucifer. Just, just with a really hard edge and... Yeah. yeah lucifer is currently a netflix series since they since fox broadcasting canceled the series netflix has picked it up for new episodes so technically it would be interesting if they do a crossover between sandman and lucifer but since both shows have a completely different tone i think it would be cool if the same character who plays lucifer on lucifer plays lucifer on sandman but you know in a completely yeah. different way yeah, or at least I could see that fitting in better into the Sandman world than trying to, like, launch Sandman in a Lucifer episode or something. Like, I feel like you want to, I feel like you want to set the tone of Sandman dark and complex early on. And, and Lucifer, I think, was conceived as, uh, you know, obviously it was first on a on network NBC, yeah, uh, Fox, I think, or Fox, yes. Yeah, so, so it's obviously conceived more for network, and this will, since it's starting out uh, on Netflix, it'll probably have kind of more of a bite to it. So I could see that character kind of jumping into the universe a little easier. Yeah, and so interesting to see them going with Netflix and not HBO Max. Why do you think that is? I think it could have been money. I think I mean probably New money. Line. New Line tried to make a movie uh, version of Sandman with Joseph Gordon-Levitt for yeah. a long time because he was such a huge fan, um, and it just never. I, I feel like it's kind of like the Akira story where it just due to like money and trying to figure out how to really conceptualize it into a movie, it never really got off the ground. It would make a better uh, TV series. It would make a be- the best. It would make it as, as an HBO series, but yes. I guess. I think it was money. I mean, I think it was probably, you know, HBO maybe had a certain price point for what they'd make it for, and uh, they decided it wasn't worth it, and maybe Netflix came in and said, yeah, we'll, we'll if you're going to pass on it, we'll pay for it. Uh, I, kinda, I mean, I assume that's what happened with maybe, uh, is it Sabrina on Netflix? Like, yeah. I assume CW probably had 
a first shot at developing it and then it moved to netflix yeah netflix just like had more money to like they just came in with more money which you know all of that money is borrowed from the bank right now that netflix has so it's interesting they do have a lot of subscribers but uh so yeah it's interesting to see netflix trying to still find huge intellectual properties to grab from these really huge companies that are trying to do their own thing still. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see who they cast. I mean, maybe maybe they still end up getting Joseph Gordon-Levitt, but I, I'd imagine they'd probably go for somebody different. He, he might be kind of done with the project. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, Joseph Gordon-Levitt came from... I mean, he didn't come... Like, you know, he's from Third Rock from the Sun when he was a kid, but he is in the... Uh, the Dark Knight Rises, and oh, that's true. And he, so Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in The Dark Knight Rises, and he was trying to direct the Sandman. And I know that Warner likes to take directors that are on this like lower caliber of like making horror movies and bump them up to making these huge franchise potential tentpole films, and. uh for instance, you know, like Andy Muschietti, who was the director of It. I, mean, I don't know if you saw It. Yes, yeah, I loved It. Part one. But it, that, like, it was a huge hit for Warner Brothers. And with It 2 coming out soon, which they're promoting the hell out of, they actually tapped that director, Andy Muschietti, to direct the Flash movie. Mm. With Christina Hodson writing... She wrote Bumblebee, and she actually wrote the upcoming Birds of Prey DC Comics film. And Ezra Miller still attached to reprise his role as The Flash. Yeah, I feel like that's been in developing for a while, because I'd read, didn't Ezra Miller really fight to take a crack at the script and do a rewrite? And then I guess the deal was, you know, if, if this rewrite doesn't work, then you can move on with whatever writer or director you want to pick. Yeah, and I think they, I think they went with this team. But yeah, Christina Hansen is obviously like a hugely talented writer, and she's had some. I mean, uh, I think Bumblebee was probably one of the better Transformer movies. Pro- and probably Birds, is the Birds best. I seen it yeah, though. it's at least the most personal one. Yeah. Um. Yeah, like it'll be interesting to see what they can kind of make out of the project. But uh, Muschietti, I think, originally did his first breakout movie was Mama, uh, which was that horror film produced by Guillermo del Toro and it was really well done and it was a cheap budget uh and it was super scary and that's probably partly why he got the it directing job but yeah yeah, Warner Brothers has this has a pretty good track record of finding these horror directors and And especially because originally the person who was going to direct it was the director of the first season of True Detective yeah Kerry Fukunaga and I think that I think they had a big falling out because he wanted to really have like a lot of the kind of like molestation scenes that are in the book. And they just uh, Warner Brothers wasn't ready to commit to uh, that much into the movie. Yeah. But killing sheep, they're okay with. Just yeah. Like, yeah. Killing sheep's fine. But... Yeah. Yeah. And, well, originally, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein wrote the original draft. And one of one of those two of that writing team was actually is the main kid in Freaks and Geeks. Oh. Yeah. Okay. With, with them leaving the project. And they've wrote a bunch of stuff. I think they wrote Spider-Man uh, 5. Spider-Man. Yeah. Are we on spider What? Okay. I'm trying to do it the wrong way. The Spider-Man Homecoming. I believe they wrote and they yes. wrote the reboot of vacation 
National Lampoon's ah, Vacation. Interesting. That's a big jump. Yeah. And they wrote that really, really bad Jim Carrey, uh, Steve Carell magician movie. Do you know what I'm talking uh, about? I didn't see it, but I think I remember what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I saw it. Ooh, uh, it was pretty bad. <laughs> uh, but, I mean, you know, so they they wrote the original draft of The Flash, or one of the drafts, one of the many drafts. And then, as you said, Ezra Miller picked up the project, and he wrote a draft. But do you know who we wrote the draft with? Wasn't it Lord and Miller or somebody like that? Like... No, they they were attached to direct for a while as well. But Grant Morrison was originally really? was writing it with Ezra Miller. Supposedly they're keeping none of that, but I'd give my running legs to see Grant Morrison. Yeah, that's like that's a ballsy team up because I mean it's like I bet Ezra Miller, Ezra Miller, uh, I bet Ezra Miller's talented, but like for one of your first big writing projects, and then you get teamed up with like one of the greatest comic writers of all time, and I'm I'm sure Grant Morrison had to have some patience during that. Back and forth, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's quite a person to be matched up with, so uh, I'm, I'm sure that was just kind of tough to make all those different kind of styles work. Yeah, but man, A, can you be- would you believe like a Grant Morrison written DC Comics film? Oh my gosh, crazy. No, be, now I'm, I just kind of wish that he'd had a solo crack at it, but I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure it's just, it's just kind of tough when you're rewriting a rewrite of a rewrite and at some point it just kind of gets tough to see the forest through the trees yeah so that movie you know the flash has been in development hell it seems like for a while now unfortunately and i think it will be a huge hit because there's so many kids who love the flash as a tv series and are just flash kids there's there's just tons of love for the flash out there and I can see the the Flash movie being a billion dollar movie. Those, they just got to get it right. And it's really it's such an accessible kind of like superpower to conceptualize if that makes any sense. Like when you're a kid, it's somebody says like if you could have any superpower, what would you want? You know, first you think of the things like flight and the things that Superman have, but inevitably, super speed is like in the top five usually yeah it's and uh, very whereas, believable whereas with, too. Uh, yeah with um jason momoa's character i mean it's just aquaman it's not, yeah aquaman it's, flash is just a lot easier to kind of conceptualize and relate to uh so if you can make a compelling character out of aquaman work on screen surely you could make something out of flash yeah i hopefully it'll rush out of that development hell and make a make a really good billion dollar movie franchise yeah. Uh, did you know that originally, throughout the 80s, you know, they were trying to make the Batman movie? Tom Mankiewicz, the writer of Superman, was just trying to make this Batman film happen. And one of his concepts for the film, do you know who he, who he wanted to go against as Batman slash Bruce Wayne and the Joker? Like, which actors he wanted to get? No. He wanted to get Peter O'Toole as the joker which i think is a really good idea yeah and there's other people attached too but for for right now we'll focus on that peter o'toole is the joker and then just take one guess just name anyone from the 80s who he was trying to get in the mid to early 80s as batman bruce wayne i mean the first name from that time period that pops in the head is arnold schwarzenegger but i don't know who he who would have been like the big name for that time? Think like sillier, I guess. Uh, I don't want to spoil uh, it though. I don't know. Um, God, I'm trying to 
think of who would play well against Peter O'Toole, and I'm drawing a blank. I don't even know. That's not a good way of thinking. Yeah. I think. <laughs> uh, I think who was the biggest comedian, like or like film actor who was a comedic actor in the mid '80s. Oh well, uh, no, Gene Wilder would have been, I guess, before that. Wow. Uh, yeah. A Gene Wilder Batman sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Bill Murray. Bill Murray is Batman? Oh my god. What did that be? I mean, you know, he would have killed the uh the Bruce Wayne aspect of it because he I could see him playing this kind of like faux arrogant person, like somebody pretending to be arrogant to uh keep up the ruse, but yeah, yeah. Bill Murray is like in, in the costume. I just I don't know how that works. And you but you have to think they're going from Adam West to Bill Murray, and I can actually see that jump. You know, like it doesn't yeah. seem that much of a jump or leap, honestly. And if you're trying to set up somebody who you wouldn't think was Batman in that world, I mean, that would be a great kind of actor to use. I mean, when you think of people like Val Kilmer and George Clooney and even Michael Keaton, it, it at some point it, it's kind of like, uh, well, yeah, obviously you're Batman. You're like this brooding billionaire uh, who has all this money and time at your disposal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean what what could have happened what could have happened but <laughs> I, I think i'm gonna do a full episode about tom mankiewicz trying to get batman and the crazy journey to the silver screen uh, yeah so yeah. they should make a documentary like uh the tim burton superman documentary definitely yeah be really great yeah but yeah we will have an episode entire episode devoted to superman screenwriter tom mankiewicz taking batman on a crazy journey to the silver screen. <laughs> Before you mention Aquaman, James Wan directed Aquaman, you know, another horror movie director moving up into making, into the echelon of making superhero films. And James Wan will actually direct an untitled horror film for New Line before aquaman 2 which is very smart so james wan is going from making a billion dollar movie to making a horror movie which should do really well since from the director of the billion dollar aquaman so then that movie will do what it does and then he does aquaman 2 which should also make a billion dollars yeah i I have a lot more faith in aquaman 2 than i have in the uh that other property they're developing around those characters from the Aquaman universe. Oh, the trench. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The trench. I did not know how they could make that work, but you know, I'm sure people thought that about Aquaman. So yeah, they can figure out a good way. And but what do you think about him just doing his own untitled horror film before he jumps on Aquaman too? I think that'd be good for him. I feel like people need a break in these huge movies or else you run into i don't know i think joss whedon was one of the first high profile people to run into these kind of problems where they would work on marvel properties so much that they'd get burnt out and then by the time you're expected to turn avengers age of ultron around uh you know you're just in such a weird headspace so if if you can kind of do something like where you direct aquaman and then you take your time and you work on something that's more private more personal yeah more more private right exactly in your wheelhouse yeah and then you can kind of come back to it with fresh eyes like it's really the nolan idea uh, yeah the christopher nolan method of making batman then making the prestige then making batman then making inception then making batman then making interstellar i think that's what it was right yeah Yeah, and and in this universe all warner brothers movies 
Yeah, in this universe, especially with, like, the Spider-Man franchise is another good example where it's, like, it seems like one is coming out every year. Christopher Nolan really nailed it in terms of not oversaturating the market with Batman at the time. Like, it was such a great kind of uh, gap between his films. Yeah, give you a little breather in between. Yeah. Yeah. Which is what I think they're going to do with the next Star Wars movies. I think that the D.B. Weiss and Benioff film will go first in 2022 i think and then 2024 it'll be the first of ryan johnson's trilogy then in 2026 it'll be the second of benioff and weiss's trilogy and then in 2028 it'll be the second in ryan johnson's you know 2030 it'll be the third the, the capper of benioff and weiss's then 32 it'll be the capper of ryan johnson so you have like the space of a couple years in between each movie within that trilogy to give you space in that story, but you still get a Star Wars movie every other year. I think that yeah. might be the new method. We'll see. What yeah, that, that's at least, uh, you know, I'll take what I can get. I almost, it's weird saying that I want less Star Wars, but I, I would love like a three or four year gap, but I think that two year gap at least gives uh, a little bit of time to really take a breath in between projects yeah and all that speculation and build-up is part of star wars and it's fun to speculate in between the movies like right now the rise of skywalker speculation is is amazing i love it so much <laughs> yeah and just like with the novels i mean I, i'm all for as many star wars tv shows as you want to crank out in between uh so yeah if you have you know a movie every two or three years and then in between you make one or two tv properties based around the universe that that seems like a real sweet spot to me yeah and actually a fake i know we're talking about star wars now which is not relevant <laughs> but we can pretend it's relevant well someday someday one of these companies is going to buy out the other and so it'll it'll it, it'll be relevant in it, 2050 yeah it'll all be the same thing but that they've put up a fake like you know at comic-con they had the timeline for the next bunch of Marvel movies, right? Yeah. So someone made a fake timeline for the next bunch of Star Wars movies. Or just Star Wars, like, TV shows or movies. And it almost seems real, like, what's going to happen. So they say, uh, November 12th, 2019, we get The Mandalorian on Disney+. Plus, Which is true, the first season of that. And then in fall 2019, we also get the season two of Star Wars Resistance. And then, oh, yeah, and which I love. And then December 20th, 2019, we're going to get Star Wars Episode Nine, The Rise of Skywalker, you know, which is yeah. amazing. And then after that, we are going to get, and again, this is this, this timeline and like what this person who made this timeline like made up. This is not by disney or lucasfilm whatsoever next thing they have is uh, clone wars for spring 2020 like season was it seven of clone wars and then the cashian tv series the, you know the prequel to rogue one rogue zero uh, maybe oh yeah on disney plus for fall 2020 they're saying and then summer 2021 they're saying the mandalorian season two on disney plus and then now this is where they're completely making up stuff. But spring 2022, they're saying Kenobi, a Star Wars story on Disney Plus, which would just be like a like a Disney Plus movie, maybe or maybe season or a limited one. series or something. Yeah, that would be incredible. And then December 16th, 2022, which we know is the date of the DBF and Weiss first movie in their trilogy. 
they're saying on this Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, which might be what they're doing. Who knows? And yeah. they're saying on here, summer 2023 on Disney Plus, Solo War of the Syndicate. So a sequel to Solo on Disney Plus, which would be really great. Uh, and then December 20, 2024, which is a date we know a Star Wars movie is coming out. Star Wars, a Ryan Johnson project. So I could, this is actually very realistic to me. Yeah, I could see that, and and that is, I mean, that's a lot of TV shows in between. So they, no one's going to be lacking for Star Wars content if they're looking for it. Yeah, it'll it'll still be there, but then your movies get spaced out, which I think is very very smart. I agree. And moving back to James Wan, all these names: James Wan, who directed Aquaman; David Sandberg, who directed Shazam; and now Juan Colette. Sarah or Juan Colet Sarah, who directed horror films. These are all horror movie directors that have moved up, as we keep saying, bumped up to superhero movies. Uh, Juan directed House of Wax and Orphan, and he's attached to Helm Black Adam. He just directed The Rock in the Disneyland attraction ride movie adaptation Jungle Cruise, and I assume as long as that movie is a hit, then Black Adam is next on his list. And as Zachary Levi has pointed out recently, that Warner wants to make two more Shazam films and a Black Adam film. Warner actually has five Shazam films in mind in total, he's saying. Supposedly we'll get Black Adam followed by Shazam 2 with no Black Adam in Shazam 2. But then in Shazam 3, Black Adam and Shazam will face off. Wow. So does that make sense? Yeah, that... The Black Adam and Shazam lineup kind of feels similar to how they paced out uh, Daredevil and Punisher on Netflix, where it yeah. feels like they they really established Daredevil and then Punisher comes in, um, and then they give them space again. And so I, I think that's a smart way to handle it, where you're not just immediately throwing Black Adam into yeah. And the if you Shazam have The Rock, and... The Rock can launch his own DC Comics movie like easily yeah. now, and you're building it off the of back of what you've already done with Shazam. Like you already yeah. made a successful movie for a small budget, even though it wasn't hugely successful. You still built the groundwork and the laywork for this bigger thing that you're building upon. So you have Shazam, and then you have Black Adam, which will be huge, and then you do a Shazam two, which has nothing to do with Black Adam. And then you do a Shazam 3 with Black Adam in it, and then a Black Adam 2 after that. I think that's a really smart way of doing it. Yeah, I agree. Now, yeah, again, with only a $100 million budget, Shazam has grossed 364 worldwide. And if you inject The Rock into these movies, they could make so much more money with the strong foundation they built with that first film, as I was saying. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the actual quote is, I can say that as far as I know, Black Adam is not going to be in the second Shazam because the idea is that they want to go and do a standalone Black Adam movie first. This is what Zachary Levi said. And then it would kind of be if we do a third Shazam and a second Black Adam kind of parallel like that. And that's where we would meet. If, Mm. If we have Black Adam in the second movie then where do we go after that? It would just be a movie of us sitting around playing video games for the third one. That would be very boring or not. I'm a very interesting video game player. So yeah, I think that's the idea. We'll definitely cross over. The plan is to get there, but just to pace it out however it needs to pace out. I can see that. Yeah. 
right? And I love Shazam, so hopefully they will keep building upon that foundation they've built. And in talking about foundations, there's a huge foundation built over at the CW with this DCW universe, like the whole Greg Berlante DC Comics universe they got over there. And you know they're doing Crisis on Infinite Earths this, I guess, at the end of this year. I did. I knew they were. Uh, I, I knew Supergirl kind of got a new uh, costume revamp, which looks awesome. Um, and it looks like they're uh, really gearing up for a cool event. So I, I haven't watched enough of Supergirl, but that should probably be a pretty cool crossover. Yeah. Well, first they've announced they've announced three big things so far about Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover. And first is. Brandon Ruth, who plays Adam, or the Adam on Legends of Tomorrow, will be suiting up as Superman once again. As if you remember, he played Superman in the 2006 film Superman Returns. And supposedly it's not the same Superman he played in Superman Returns, but the Kingdom Come Superman he'll be portraying. Nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm all for that. Right? And then they've also announced that Kevin Conroy is going to play an older Bruce Wayne and Kevin Conroy as we all know is the voice of Batman he's the he is the voice that i hear when i'm reading the Batman comics of Batman and Bruce Wayne he's the voice from the animated series and from the Arkham games and from a ton of the DC animated movies that they've made he is Batman, and he's going to play an older Bruce Wayne in The Crisis on Infinite Earths. That should be awesome. Yeah, and then they also announced that the original 1966 Robin himself, Burt Ward, will be appearing on Crisis on Infinite Earths. The DCW Universe Hour Reverse crossover event. We don't know if he'll actually reprise his role of Robin, though, although people are saying that that's what the rumor is, that he's going to be Robin. But how incredible is that uh, and then you have john crier as luther i assume uh so i'm I mean, sure he'll come back for it as yeah. well yeah should but be cool i love how they do respect their legacy i mean in one way they are almost um what's the term for it not blowing their wad but <laughs> but yeah i mean crisis is like that is the at least to me that's the that's the, the main most event. iconic run of DC, yeah. Yeah, so it seems like doing that on the TV shows, is you're kind of wasting doing it then for the movies. But I guess they can still do it in the movies later on. But wouldn't yeah. it be called something different then? I don't know, because it's every universe. Yeah, and I know that there's there are runs after Crisis on Infinite. Like, there's Crisis, you probably know better than I do. Yeah, there's but... Final Crisis. Yeah. Identity so Crisis. Do... <laughs> I didn't, yeah. uh, that that is a real one. That is a real is one. It? Yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Okay. And I, uh, I, Final Crisis, I'd heard of, but anyway, um, I do think in the movies, because you have like limited uh, space to really develop a lot of this stuff, uh, it almost feels like it makes more sense to do it in TV when you already have so many characters established. Yeah. Um, and you can just get to it faster. Whereas with films, I mean, that's like a that's like a Marvel phase type thing where that would take you know 10 years to build up to just crisis on infinite earth so yeah i could see i could see them still doing that in movies but maybe they do that in like 2035 uh and it just takes that long to get there yeah well i i i, I think where the marvel cinematic universe is going to build up to now and like that's going to be the number one movie in the world in 10 years is the x-men versus avengers comic book storyline yeah. like that is where that's that's going to make so much money you then establish X-Men as separate, and then you cross them over. Uh, 
It's going to be crazy. And I really, the most recent kind of big run that I've read in Marvel was Secret Wars, and I loved that uh, run, so I'm sure that would make a great uh, series someday. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they'll do that. I know, I think that the the brothers who directed Infinity War and Endgame do like that run, Um, so we'll see what happens. Have you read Batman Hush? No, I I, I read uh, Court of Owls, but I didn't read Hush. Oh, nice. Well, Hush has just been adapted into an animated movie, and they're saying Hush will actually be the main villain in the upcoming first season of Batwoman. Should be interesting. And Hush is actually the 13th film in the DC Universe animated original movie series library and the 35th DC animated universe film. That's isn't that crazy how many they've made now? Yeah. Uh, that's pretty nuts. I mean, I do remember growing up, it felt like they released one every year, so or at least one. Um, so I believe that it's up to that number, but it's still crazy to fathom. Yeah, yeah. I think they do. I think they do one or two a year. I'm not sure exactly. I think that sounds about right, though. I think they try to get out like two per year. I wish they were more inclusive in each other, like they referenced each other. But it's still cool that they're adapting these like really great moments. Yeah. And now we're moving over from DC Comics to the Looney Tunes and Hanna-Barbera. Uh, Michael Pena will play the villain in the live-action animated hybrid Tom and Jerry movie. He'll play Terrence, a hotel manager. And Chloe Grace Moretz is playing Kayla, a woman who works at a hotel that has a Jerry problem. And she hires Tom the alley cat to get rid of the mouse hotel guest. So I guess this is when Tom meets Jerry. Yeah, a real origin story. Yeah interesting uh so do you have i don't know tom and jerry they have already said are not going to talk in this because they do talk in the early 90s movie that they made and they're not going to talk in this uh this movie yeah they're not going to talk in this wow i mean that's great that it's kind of true to form but i just that is going to be uh interesting to see if they can sustain it i can't even think of anything similar in films like i mean you have those animal movies like Because of Winn-Dixie, where obviously the dog doesn't talk, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how good the physical comedy is, because that's what they're going to have to rely on. Yeah, well, Scooby-Doo doesn't talk, and Scooby-Doo's huge, so maybe it will be similar to that somehow. And it's Hanna-Barbera as well. It's interesting. Yeah, huh? the, yeah. they're just going to have to rely on those, the you know, the like Chloe uh, Grace Moretz and... Uh, Michael Pena to really carry the a lot of the narrative, kind of like with Scooby Doo. I mean, it's uh, it's like the mystery team that's carrying a lot of the stuff and and moving the plot forward. Uh, yeah, that's Scooby so. Gang. Yeah, yeah. Well, and moving on from Hanna Barbera, I think those are only our only Hanna Barbera news. So we have to use your knowledge too much. The first of the new Looney Tunes cartoons have officially premiered at the Annecy Film Festival in France. It's entitled Dynamite Dance and was posted on YouTube from WBTV. Uh, David Gemmel directed it, and we also have the names of the first 10 Looney Tunes cartoons. So as I said, that first one is called Dynamite Dance, and they also showed, I believe, the second and third at the festival, so you can actually find those online as well like leaked footage you know just on twitter or wherever and there's the the second one's mummy dummy and then the third is wet cement then you have basket bugs and you have sick as a hair and then tnt trouble and then pain in the ice and then the curse of the monkey bird and then pitcher porky and then pest coaster wow 
<laughs> that's a that's a pretty big lineup. Yeah, and have you seen Dynamite Dance yet? I haven't. If um, you should definitely check it out. It's only like a couple minutes long, but it's very simple. I don't think there's any dialogue in it. It's just Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny and. Bugs Bunny keeps sticking dynamite into Elmer Fudd as he's trying to shoot him, and Elmer Fudd keeps exploding. And you know they go from like a like a two D side scroller. They go from the left side of the screen to the right side of the screen, and they keep walking. And they keep it's you know it's a dance with dynamite, and the dynamite's going back and forth, and it's very elastic and it's very fun. It's very simple and very well animated. You know, beautiful two D animation. That's the whole focus of these new cartoons, these new mm-hmm. Looney Tunes cartoons, is a focus on the 2D animation. Yeah, have to check it out. Yeah. And then news on the Animaniacs reboot for Hulu. Uh, Amblin Television's Daryl Frank and Justin Falvey are helping create it, as well as Sam Register. You know, he's the head of Warner Animation. They're attached for the rebooted take on Animaniacs for Hulu. And now I feel like they announced this project and then Hulu was officially fully bought out or not fully, but it was fully acquired. It was partially acquired. They own the majority stake. Disney owning Hulu now. Mm. Disney owns the majority stake at Hulu. <laughs> yeah. It's very confusing. So I can't see, unless they've already signed these contracts, I can't see this new rebooted take on Animaniacs, which is what they're calling it on hulu what do you think yeah i don't see why they would put it on hulu i I, i've always kind of stuck by thinking that hulu would be kind of for the uh uh, more adult programming and then also kind of uh yeah disney's adult programming disney's fox block will be hulu yeah and and then essentially kind of repeats from live television would show up on hulu like the next day uh yeah disney disney plus would be more reserved for things like animaniacs and things or or no not animaniacs but uh but it would be more reserved for their uh kind of family friendly shows uh so yeah i'm not sure how animaniacs would fit into this brand but maybe it's kind Mm. of stuck in development hell over there yeah i think it needs to go over to hbo max in order for it to truly succeed i think Animaniacs needs to be a pillar of the Looney Tunes brand over at HBO Max, personally. They, yeah, they probably made that deal uh, before Disney took a majority stake in Hulu, and they're probably just holding on to it as long as they have the contract. Uh, and then as soon as that contract expires, it'll probably go over to HBO Max. Yeah. yeah. We will see. But again, that's Amblin Television uh, working, you know, and that's Steven Spielberg working with everybody because he created the original series. So he's, you know, even though he has that Apple Plus deal, he's still over at, over here is Hulu, you know, He he has his hand in every pot for sure. And then have you heard this yet? Moving on to Space Jam 2 news. Yay. This is what we'll end with. Space Jam 2 news. This is the very last thing. Uh, first, well, we'll do the bad news first, and then we'll do the good news. So the f- bad news from Space Jam 2 is they let the director of Space Jam 2 go. Terrence Nance was let go from shooting Space Jam 2 after only a couple of weeks on set. He has been replaced with Malcolm D. Lee, who directed Girls Trip and Night School over at Universal. Interesting. 
Uh, was it? Did, did they just say creative differences? I assume and leave it at that. They didn't even say anything uh, about it. So, it yeah. If you remember Terrence Nance, he was an executive producer on the series Random Acts of Flyness. Mm. Which remember we were talking about? It's like yeah, a, that was like the hybrid, right? Like yeah, it's the trippy yeah. verite documentary, musical performance, surrealist melodrama, and humorous animation stream of conscious show. <laughs> according yeah, to the imdb yeah so maybe he wanted to make it really trippy and warner was like no we want to make this like a billion dollar movie franchise so you can see the differences there maybe we don't know we just don't know yeah uh but malcolm d lee i mean girls trip and night school were huge huge films what do you think yeah i agree i think uh i mean it sounds like they took a gamble on nance because i mean he had a really interesting vision with his show but just kind of jumping into shooting a feature on that scale is a really tall order so to get somebody who has you know done it twice and actually you know made made a lot of money off films that um you know nobody predicted would do as well as they did uh i think people said well you know this is a safer move and, and if we want somebody who's going to deliver what we ask for this seems like the right move yeah malcolm dealey sounds like a really great candidate for this position and he made tiffany hanish a star with girls trip and night school so if he can do that i think he could make bugs bunny a star again yeah and the final bit of news that we have and then we'll wrap up the show is that do you know who's been cast in space jam 2 uh i know anthony davis one of the basketball players who's traded to the lakers is gonna be in it but i'm not sure uh, yeah, I think about the recent we, yeah we we've talked about the basketball stars who are going to be in the yeah. film right uh well don Cheadle has been cast in space oh, jam 2 cool. yeah the film opens July 16th, 2021. Oh, so they've got a little bit of time to work on it. I thought for some reason it was coming out next summer, so they've got time to get it right. Yeah, they have they have plenty of time to do the animation properly and you know get the animation in place. And they've already said very specifically that they are going to direct it in a way that it moves over to the animation side very naturally. It's not like... Maybe that was a problem they had with with the original director but they want the transition from directing the live action to doing the animation very smooth and easy for the animators mm. and they announced the basketball stars that are going to be in space jam 2 and while the first cast featured patrick ewing larry johnson sean bradley charles barkley and mugsy bogues the new cast will be NBA player Damian Lillard of the Portland Trailblazers, Anthony Davis of the New York Pelicans, recently traded to the LA Lakers, Clay Thompson from the Golden State Warriors, in addition, WNBA stars Diana Taurasi of the Phoenix Mercuries and Nika Agwumike of the Los Angeles Sparks are also ha are, are also going to be in the film. That's cool. Yeah, that's, that's awesome that they're incorporating uh, uh, athletes from the WNBA in it. Yeah, yeah. And Chene Agwumike, who's Nika's sister, and she's also on the Sparks, will be in Space Jam 2. So yeah, it's cool that they're pulling from the NBA and the WNBA, because the WNBA does have a huge fan base and is important to a lot of people. So it's great to bring in all those people as well. 
Yeah. Yeah. On an earlier episode, I speculated that is it Anthony Davis? Yes. That Anthony Davis was going to be in the movie, and we got that correct. Nice. Because we rule. Because here at the AT&WB podcast, we care about Warner Brothers, and we're the only podcast in the world that cares about Warner Brothers and HBO Max, which is what the new name of the company is going to be. Or it probably will be called AT&WB at some point, or even just AT&T. At the very Probably. yeah, in, in fifty years, the whole brand is just going to be AT and T. You're going to go to the AT and T app, and you're going to get all of your DC comics. But that's why here at the AT and WB cast, you get this news, and that's why we want you to rate this five thousand stars. I'm feeling generous today, Alex. Five thousand stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you rate it five thousand stars, guess what? I'm going to give you 5,000 stars. That's right. You heard guaranteed. it here first. 5,000 stars guaranteed if you rate this podcast 5,000 stars. But I'm going to give them to you through iTunes. So you better use those stars quickly before they expire and they turn into stardust. So this has been uh, Chris Taylor on the ATNWB podcast and Alex Wilson. Any final thoughts, Alex? And that's all, folks. Roar! This has been a full dinosaur production.